On today's APA podcast, I'm joined by Dale Morris of the Royal Netherlands Embassy based here in Washington, D.C., and David Wagner, president of Wagner and Ball Architects in New Orleans. Together, Dale and David, in partnership with the American Planning Association, started what is known as the Dutch Dialogues, a workshop designed to help cities like New Orleans understand they can grow and prosper if they learn to live with water. Thank you for both joining me today. Thank you. So let's just jump right into our questions. I know we have quite a few we want to touch base on today. Dale, why don't you start for us? What are the Dutch Dialogues? And give us a little look into how they started. So the Dutch Dialogues are really a planning process or a workshop process through which we involve a number of different disciplines, not just planners, uh, but landscape architects, architects, biologists, ecologists, planners, um, and most importantly, a lot of community stakeholders, um, citizens groups that are looking to, to, to try to improve their neighborhoods and try to improve the functioning of their and the resiliency of their neighborhoods or their cities. Um, the Dutch dialogues began in New Orleans. Um, the Dutch reached out to the state and city officials in Louisiana right after Katrina, asking how could they help. Um, the embassy led that effort. Um, and there was some interaction at the federal level between the Army Corps of Engineers and their peers in the Netherlands. There was some policy interaction. There were some CODELs, congressional delegations, that went from um, the U.S. to the Netherlands, led by Senator Mary Landrieu and Governor Blanco and Senator Vitter and a number, number of other folks. Um, and we were looking at policy implications. We were looking at engineering solutions, um, inspection processes, so uh, so levy inspection processes, uh, infrastructure inspection processes. Um, we were looking at coastal restoration and protection. How do you do that? Um, how the Dutch do it? What the similar similarities are with what's going on in Louisiana? Um, and one of the things that we exposed in those codels to a number of folks from Louisiana who were in those codels, David was one of them, was um, an active process of urban water management. So within the urban environment, how do you move the water on, deal with the water in storm conditions and in emergency conditions and in daily conditions um, in, in a way that was different from how they were doing it in Louisiana? And David came to the Netherlands uh, Embassy in uh, 2007 and asked for a lot of help with that because he didn't feel that was being addressed in the uh, recovery and planning processes in New Orleans. Um, so the Dutch Dialogues grew out of that request um, from David, um, and those workshops were held, the original Dutch Dialogues were held between 2008 and 2010 in Louisiana with the APA, three very intense workshops that um, – we think had an intention to and actually did shift um, or start the shift in the paradigm in urban water management within uh, New Orleans, and we think um, and hope elsewhere. So tell me, why is the Dutch Dialogue an important tool for planners? I know you kind of touched on that, but dig a little bit deeper. Maybe I can uh, give you a relief on that, Dale. The um you know, as Dale said, it's a process. It's a methodology a bit. What's different about it? People in architecture and planning use terms like charrettes, workshop. Um, what we were doing was a more uh, all-at-once uh, interdisciplinary uh, approach 
obviously bringing in different ideas or, or perspectives or sets of uh, uh, knowledge sets, bringing in the international side of this. And then we were also working consciously with the younger people as well as the older people. In New Orleans, the, the process was organized from the community itself. We are part of the community. It was not, we did not at that point have a high functioning government. And so, you know, this was organized out of the community, uh, out of the, uh, you know, from within. But the methodology was set and determined to produce content and propositions, um, that would not be unedited or, or, uh, you know, beyond bound, but would be something that people could see. Often we do planning workshops and uh, we don't really have anything much to show for them at the end. We have a lot of words and somebody's going to transcribe those. This was explicit that we needed to make a presentation at the end of the time period that people could see and make their judgment of at that point and then from which we could uh, reduce and, and uh, uh, proceed. It, it also puts forward a bit something that's fundamental to the work we do, which is integrating uh, the work, integrating really not only the physical aspects so that you're not only doing flood protection, but you're also looking at landscape and you're not only worried about the habitation of the surface, but you're also worried about what's going on in the underground and the middle layers and all that. So it's not only the physical thinking, but also using physical thinking to improve social and environmental conditions. So it's useful to planners because it was trying to do something very, uh, well, with some preparation pretty quickly, intensely, that had an integral purpose and was, you know, developed within the community. David, along those same lines, um, actually this year, 2015, uh, the Greater New Orleans Water Plan was awarded an APA Planning Excellence Award. And I know you worked very um, hard in, on that water plan. So, um, I guess my question is, do you feel like Dutch Dialogues really made that plan come to life? It created the framework from which that that um, plan was built? Well, it, it created the uh, agenda for the plan. Uh, by virtue of having done these iterative workshops, we had a clear idea of what we needed to do from a system perspective much more broadly than we were able to do with the uh, incidental or, or case-based method. We also had a better sense of where the areas of, of more intense study were. This was a regional plan, the water plan. The Dutch dialogues had been more specific studies, so we intended to expand the inquiry. Uh, direct outgrowth of the water, uh, the water plan is a direct outgrowth of Dutch dialogues. We were not intending to do three Dutch dialogues. We were hoping there would be some funding before we did the third. Uh, but there wasn't, and we did a third in connection with the APA National Convention, and uh, that was 10. And then the funding uh, finally flowed afterward, which, for which we were uh, successful competing with our core team. One of the, one of the things you learn is uh, you work better with other, some than others, and in that period, in that time uh, of doing Dutch dialogues and since 2006 or 7, we had basically created a kind of college of fellows, and we were all able to work together on the water plan for New Orleans, a, a severe need we have to uh, reorient ourselves to water. A lot of remedial things were done, and Dale already mentioned the word paradigm, the shifting of the idea 
away from fighting water to living and work, uh, working with living with water, working with nature. So we were making those shifts, but then we had to quantify a lot of things we had not really quantified except in preliminary ways. We had to uh, explain more broadly what the proposition would be in other places, and we did that in the water plan. And then we also had to describe and cost in preliminary ways certain demonstration projects, which we did in the water plan, so that now those projects can begin to be funded and designed, funded, designed, and uh, soon built. so it's a continuum uh, to change this uh, uh, view of where we live here in uh, in New Orleans, uh, a giant landscape repair uh, project, really. Do you see the New Orleans Regional Water Plan as a model uh, that other cities can can make happen? Well, yeah, a model, yes. Uh, I don't think we're in the copy-paste mode. I think you have, the one, one of the lessons of this is you need to deal with the specificity of the place, and that is literally at the, uh, the scale or the coarseness of the soil and the place you work. I think you, you can't replicate. You can look for examples, and you can find places that that case applies. I think it, it is a model, though, because I think it came from within. So instead of saying that you want to duplicate, you really want to study and modify. That's what design is, right? Mm-hmm. So you really want to design a process that works for you where you are. And, you know, I think it's a good model, too, because we took a lot of outside expertise, brought it in here, made it part of our system, and then the output is is not something that would have come without the new blood, without the new perspective. So I think that is a, a good model for the rest of the country, not to replicate the water plan for New Orleans because mm-hmm. hopefully you don't have all these problems, but to look at the methodology, to look at the uh, efficiency or not of the process, look at the outcomes and say, well, what do we have within and what do we need to study? But the first part of all this is to understand the problem, and the problem of New Orleans is different from the problem of Norfolk or another place, and you have to be specific. It's not, I mean, you know, was in Jakarta last week, and, you know, Jakarta does not suffer or does not have to defend itself against storm surge because the particulars of the Java Sea. You need to understand the conditions that exist where you work. And I would just add that I, that I think the intent of the water plan um, was to integrate a number of functions that various government entities in New Orleans um, and in other cities that they do separately. Um, and the water plan tries to uh, knit those together to get a to get more synergy between the the interactions of a uh, of you know the the equivalent of a Department of Public Works and in New Orleans something like the Sewage and Water Board with the Department of City Planning um, and with the Department, for instance, of something like uh, Environmental Resources or or things like that. So you're trying to integrate those, um, the ideas that come out of the workshop, you're trying to integrate those things in a, in a plan that makes sense in a cohesive way, but is often implemented under current practices um, in the U.S. and in elsewhere, um, uh, not in an efficient way. And the, and the water, water plan shows how you can do that, how you can get multiple benefits. And I do think it is important for other cities as a, as a model, as David said, you need to make it specific to the place and the problem you have. But the process and the intent, I think, is informative for a lot of other places. You would hope that 
the ambition of it, that is to become a more environmentally responsive city, you know, to use the space more intelligent, intelligently, to integrate the systems, to make better, more um, holistic investments so that you get a better return, you know, to bring all layer, uh, levels of the society into some alignment so that we can actually address these problems. You'd hope that those are broader, more uh, more broadly accepted goals. Uh, so I think there, uh, I hope there's a lot to learn from it. David, I think you mentioned it in your first response. Um, you, you talked about Norfolk, and, and I know last month there was a Dutch Dialogue workshop held in Norfolk, Virginia, we're talking about. Um, I'm wondering if you can both tell me about some of the outcomes, how is the community engaged, um, and, and what's being done since that workshop? So the interaction with Norfolk, it's really – Southeastern Virginia, um, Norfolk is a city that some people know um, for a variety of reasons, good reasons. Um, they had approached the embassy a number of years back asking um, for similar uh, attention from the embassy and from the Dutch for their challenges and problems as was given to New Orleans um, and Louisiana. Uh, they wanted to replicate some of that. Um, they thought the Dutch could, could help them understand things in, in a different way. Um, and so we were talking with them, I was talking with them over a number of years, and it finally um, was the right time to do a Dutch Dialogues. When they originally approached us a while back, it, it wasn't. Um, they, they were not sure where they wanted to go and um, not sure that they could collaborate across these various government and stakeholder entities in the region. Um, it's a complicated region, but it does have the highest rate of, of relative sea level rise on the east coast of the U.S., so there's a threat there, uh, and there's recurrent flooding, and there's a potential for a lot of economic disinvestment if the area is not careful, and economic loss at either a large scale or at a sort of household scale, which is just not healthy economically, and it harms a lot of people. So we started engaging them. They started to engage us, and David and I had a number of discussions about a Dutch dialogues there. Um, we did it in um, over a period of uh, – five days last month. It took a lot of preparation. Um, a difference with the New Orleans Dutch Dialogues and the Norfolk Dutch Dialogues was that in New Orleans, as David mentioned, it grew from the citizen and the community up, um, our efforts there, the Dutch Dialogues. In Norfolk and in Southeast Virginia, it was the government, um, government entities engaging us and we then asked them to make sure that the stakeholders, uh, the citizens groups were involved, and they brought them in. But it was it was not top down, but it was um, sort of government through it through a particular government lens. Um, and the outcomes of the workshop, um, one of the challenges in the U.S. and the Dutch always see this is that the governance models here um, complicate um, integrated planning. Um, federalism to federal, state, and local authorities um, don't easily allow for an integrated process or an integrated planning process or integrated implementation. Um, and in the Netherlands, it does. So um, that was borne out in our efforts in Norfolk because there you have, I think, seven, seven cities and a total of 16 or 17 different constituent governments down there. Um, who have political boundaries that the water doesn't understand. Um, and so for for them to be successful, we kept telling them, you need to find a way to collaborate regionally to deal with this. And um, 
so one of our most difficult challenges was trying to tease that out and to um, and to get people to to imagine how they could collaborate regionally to understand their challenges and their opportunities if they do this. And then I'll let David talk a little bit more in detail, but we had two specific um, landscape typologies, areas of one area in Norfolk um, and one area in Hampton that we eventually decided to be um, our focal areas. And there we came up with a number of specific solutions for that area that we do think are prototypical um, as an implementation for other parts of, of, you know, the southeastern Virginia landscape and actually along the entire East Coast. I don't know, David, you want to take it from there? Well, yeah, where uh, the area is, is, you know, hopefully we produce benefit. Uh, the conversation of identity is one that was uh, Dale's referring to, you know, Hampton Roads or Tidewater, Virginia and all that. We, as uh, visitors uh, and workers, uh, you know, maybe – we're struggling a little bit with that. It's it's difficult to answer the question of identity, but uh, the the regional conditions, the, the areas of concern shared, the tidal flooding, the sea level rise, the the broad issues of the uh, transportation infrastructure, uh, they in Norfolk uh, or Tidewater, Virginia, or Hampton Roads, you have rivers that I I live next to a big river in New Orleans, but this is not a river like I know a river. This thing's five miles wide. They're bays almost. I mean, they're huge bodies of water where the you know they're they're uh, influenced by the tides. So so the scale of the region is vast. Um, uh, you know, I think we calculated to be above the regional planning boundary uh, window was about forty or forty-two percent the scale of the Netherlands, and you know that's big area to be talking about regional planning. It's it's a giant thing. Um, so it, it was a, a bit of a challenge when you're depending upon this common infrastructure, and there's a lot of uh, movement between the parts of that uh, area. So we, we reverted a bit in regional terms to local things, and I uh, especially thought that a lot of the problems could be solved much more uh, locally uh, uh, by developing redeveloping some of the urban cores, making sure that you took care of each of the local places, and then the regional would, you would have a better understanding of when you needed to think regionally, uh, I mean politically and in infrastructure terms and uh, sea level rise clearly. So we looked at a couple of more. One of the methods of uh, this Dutch Dialogues process has been to uh, explore different scales. And so we have we had one example that was in Hampton, uh, and it was more a creek, but it was a, a altered creek, and that was interesting to study because it it, it ties into some older uh, aspects of that society and some really uh, rich historical uh, territory. But it was what is unfortunately too often the case in America that people live with their back turned to the water, so you know it was just kind of a ditch in the backyard instead of reorienting yourself to the face of the water. Um, and, and so there, there's some easy enough recommendations to make out of that. There's low-scale uh, retail that's covering up the waterway and, of course, you know where the flooding is, right? You know, it's in that zone. Um, and, and big connections there. But on the Norfolk side, is similar story because, you know, Norfolk at one point we found a beautiful map that showed that it was a series of islands and archipelago and, you know, it wants to be again because of all the buried creeks and so forth. So, you know, you look back at that historical layer and you start to 
figure, well, actually, you could put water back into this zone and you could reduce the flooding, but you could also improve the urban quality. We we looked a bit at, um, you know, what sort of typologies uh, would be useful for flood defense, whether that would be a levee or it would be a, a more architectural barrier or it would just be park that yields uh, space. And we were able to demonstrate potentially along the uh, river there the um, possibilities in specific, but then those are also archetypical ways uh, how that might function or where it might be played through. Uh, and then comment a bit on the development pattern uh, to look at the scale of the land and the scale of the uh, development that would be appropriate to that land and the scale of the urban pattern that you're trying to stitch back together. Um, I would say, you know, not because I'm on the phone with somebody from the Dutch Embassy only, but uh, Rotterdam is an incredibly rich uh, opportunity uh, if you study it because for since '45, um, you know, they've been exploring how to rebuild a city. And I think that the number of experiments, some fail, some succeed, that they have examined are really fruitful because now you can say, well, there, there's not only new urbanism I can do here, but there's also these other ways of uh, enforcing mobility or developing that would be useful and, and actually produce a city. Uh, so I think that, you know, it, it's interesting that I believe you can learn from New Orleans because we got white I think you can learn from Rotterdam because they got disturbed badly too. And these, these lessons that were, you know, the, the opportunities to explore, you know, we, we're developing them as we have to reinvent our cities. So that I think if you look at the drawings produced in those four days, it, for Norfolk or for Hampton or for the region, you, you'll see that there's an effort to make an urban uh, condition out of it that allows space for nature and water and the principles that you know, we at least espouse. Now, in both of your answers, I heard you guys mention that collaboration across government entities, um, that's that's very important for um, a, a city to be considered ripe for a Dutch dialogue. I'm wondering if there are some other features or qualities that you look for when considering where a Dutch dialogue might be held. It doesn't have to have a lot of problems. I mean, maybe, maybe it needs to be a problem. You know, we're, we're foolishly ambitious at times. I think, you know, I used to think the first beginning of all this was pretty arrogant, actually, to think we could inform our influence from outside the system. Um, I, I don't know. You know, Norfolk has the problem, of, uh, you know, of the, the sea level rise and, you know, tidal flooding, even with moderate rainfall. Um, I think that Norfolk also had an attribute that that's not been mentioned yet, which is the world's largest naval base. So you've got you've got assets of great value there, and you're not going to be able to uh, to cut and run from those. So you know you you it's you know we're not. I don't know if those are criteria for, uh, but those are those were things that would encourage interest in. Uh, in being, you know, in having such a process or, or engaging, I would add that I think when we when we look at where we want to spend our time, I mean, so these these workshops are um, taken seriously. We we make um, a lot of investment of time and resources 
um, the people that participate are volunteering their time. They're volunteering a lot of their time. Um, we're using all of their capacities for four or five or six days. Um, some people have to travel very far. Um, some people have to do a lot of work two or three months in advance. So we ask a lot of the participants. Um, and so I think one of the things we look at is um, can we make a difference in that particular region? What are their challenges? And can this college of fellows or team of experts that we that we can draw upon, can they make a difference together, um, a real difference? And is the area ready, ripe to consider um, joining the paradigm shift, as David, as we talked about in New Orleans? Are they ready to to really think about integration? Do their challenges um, line up with that? And then, you know, I think it's important to to not just do an academic exercise, but can these things be implemented? Is there a, a mechanism in the next? three to 20 years in which um, the ideas, if they're worthy, um, after further study by, uh, you know, by by uh, additional experts, are they worthy of implementation? And then can they be implemented? Are there funding streams or are there processes through which um, you can prove um, prove that the, that the designs are the right ones and that the designs work and they, they, they accomplish the goals? Um, that we, you know, as David said, we have, you know, a bit of an arrogance or an ambition. Can can we implement it? Um, and there are a lot of things like that that we consider when we look at a particular area. Um, again, we had the embassy has been asked by a number of places, could you come do this for us? And we're, we're just there are places that are clearly ready or or could be ready, and other places I we're just not quite sure that that's the case. So um, um, if we're going to you know, causes tremendous donation of time. It's a tremendous civic effort um, from a lot of people. Then we want to be able to make it worth everyone's time. I'm kind of switching gears a little bit here. I'm I'm wondering if um, the work that you're doing through the Dutch Dialogues complements HUD's Rebuild by Design effort and the current National Resilience Competition going on. David, I think that's a question for you. Well, we're involved uh, throughout those processes, so I think so. Uh, it's design-oriented. It's not policy-driven uh, from the beginning. It's really design-driven from the beginning, rebuilt by design. Uh, but Dutch Dialogues influenced, I think, uh, I don't know if Hank would agree, I hope so, Hank Oving, but um, influenced certainly the participants in the Dutch Dialogues in New Orleans and in the water plan in New Orleans. You can start naming them, INS and Palmbout and Boschlavers and Arcadis and, uh, who am I forgetting, Hasconing and Deltaris. I mean, these are all part of our collective here. And they all participated in RBD. Uh, they're all in the game. Uh, it's a continuum uh, of the same kind of uh, relationships and thinking. And, you know, we're learning. Uh, and as I said, one process does not say, okay, let's do that same process again. Let's actually learn what we need to do to be effective because, you know, being economical in action is is, a, is an attribute of design. You want to do the least you can to achieve the highest uh, effect. And so I think that uh, Dutch Dialogues is relatively efficient, although costly at uh, a personal level, as Dale was saying before, um, I think Revo by Design is, is a model that's, that's different because it goes relatively soon 
back to uh, CBDG uh, DR funding and really uh, highly regulated uh, streams and bureaucracies and then the preferences of bureaucracies. And maybe, Dale, you can comment on the whether that's a, a stymies innovation or not. Uh, in DRC, the National Disaster Resiliency Competition are, is an outgrowth or a subset of, you know, the Sandy funding. And it's now not saying, here, designer, find a municipality that will accept you to work. It's more saying, municipality, here, you need to make a proposition that will create more resilience. So it's, it's a way of, I think, institutionalizing resilience that's hopefully going to be effective because we need but it's it's they're all uh, a different uh, take on that, a different slice on that. You know, hopefully NDRC will have some aspect of design in there. We'll have a great deal of buy-in uh, from the municipalities and especially the state governments that are participating. Uh, and we'll get to where we can actually do what would be uh, changing the thing in America. Uh, because these are all, even though we used Dutch dialogues, uh, or Hank Ovink, the Dutch were very involved in RBD, they're American processes. And America has to do something. And hopefully we will start to see action. That would be that the innovation would be implementation. And so how do we get to the point of implementing, and how do we get to the point if somebody does a highway project that it can't just be a highway project, it also needs multiple benefits, we need to consider what those are, or Levy is not just a levy, but it's also something else. How do we get to the point where these principles that are being explored become, in fact, institutionalized and actionable in every case? Yeah, and um, so I think we have to um, have to acknowledge that Rebuild by Design and NDRC that you know it's bringing a tremendous amount of talent together. Um, trying to solve a number of problems. Um, and the orientation, as David said, could be from the government saying, do something about this, here's an opportunity, and we'll give you some funding. Um, and RBD, you know, took a tremendous amount of talent, and now they're trying to trying to squeeze the implementation through an existing government process, this CDBGDR. It's, it's the process that's there, um, and you have to use what you have. But um, there is a concern, and... I think some of the Dutch parties have said you have to be very careful that this existing process doesn't um, weaken the innovation uh, of integration in, as David said, you know, you build a road, you want it to have a number of different functions. Um, and the CDBG process doesn't necessarily um, allow that or won't necessarily encourage um, funding mechanisms to permit that. And I think we've can show in the water plan, but in, in other in some of the some of the output of, the, of our workshops, is that you know a road can be many different things, and a levee can be many different things, and a wetland can be many different things, um, and it can provide a lot of function for a lot of different policy or community goals. Um, and so moving forward with NDRC and um, rebuild by design as it's implemented, we would. We would hope that the innovation and the integration is guarded, um, is respected through through the implementation. And I think we have time for one last question. Um, I'd love for both of you to take a crack at this. Tell me, how can planners get involved in the Dutch dialogues or other opportunities around resiliency? 
you want me since I'm closer to a planner than you, Mr. Economist? Yeah. Our architects planners. <laughs> no. yeah. we're, we're all we're. It's it's you know planners are integral and they're uh, you know they, they they I don't think sometimes understand what how we depend upon them. Uh, we architects, we engineers, we ecologists, whatever we are, to show us the parts we don't know. So I think you know planners know their communities well. I saw after Katrina that people who were that now functioning as planners, they may be called architects, but they were the key members of the community uh, action. They were the stakeholders. They were the citizen activists. So I think planners can get involved by sort of looking at their own condition and saying, what kind of activity do we need here to make this uh, make sense, to make, a, make our place a better place, to make it the kind of place we'd like it to be, uh, not the one that maybe uh, Amsterdam is or maybe the one Amsterdam is, or maybe the one that, uh, you know, what I'm saying is look for what's inherent to the place and what the what the things that need of need to be addressed and what the threats are and what these opportunities are and say, well, we could organize if we have this right support and what are the disciplines we need? What are, where, where are the gaps? What, what do we, do we have the landscape architects here who can help us think that way? You know, do we have really uh, forward-thinking civil engineers here? How do we form some kind of collective where we together can think about how to make positive change in our um, our location, our our city? Yeah, um, and I think so. I mean, the planning community, is, as I understand it, um, certainly with my interactions over the last number of years with the APA and um, Folks on the ground in New Orleans and Norfolk and Tampa and Miami and San Francisco and elsewhere. Um, but you know, this idea of resiliency—it's it's a buzzword, it's a catchword, you know, sustainability. Um, so these are, you know, everyone's looking at this challenge of climate change um, and sea level rise, and that is—that's you know, a threat and it's an opportunity. Um, but as you try to manage that, um, planners have they're in a unique way or a unique position to make sure that there's this integration so that whatever investments or policy changes are made um, to help these communities deal with those, those you know, big challenges of climate change and adaptation and all that, um, that they can make the areas better, that they can make streets um, and neighborhoods function better. And I think, you know, planners are motivated by that. Functioning as, as, as ecosystems, functioning as economic Units functioning as social um, places, um, functioning as places that have better mobility, um, better health. Uh, uh, it, there's a lot of things that we can do here. Um, you know, adaptation to climate change shouldn't be a scary thing. It should be an opportunity. And I think the dialogues on the Water Planet Order shows that. And I think if you have this idea that this is an integrated approach, um, the planners that I've come across, um, most of them get it, and if we've shown them a way to how to integrate these things, that's great. Um, so I sort of leave it at that. There's, you know, this is important um, work. It is important for safety, for places, economic safety, and human safety over the long term, but you know, these investments that are made, if they're done well, they can provide much more bang for the buck um, for citizens and cities. There's just, you know, and I think planners 
have to be willing to take that on too. Well, I can't think of a better way to end that podcast with that high call to action and and, and stirring comments from both of you. I think as planners continue to grapple with issues of resiliency, sustainability, and how they can partner with these other professions, like you're mentioning, to live with water, I hope that they can look to the Dutch dialogues in this conversation and, and the work that's been done in other cities as inspiration for the future. I'd, I'd like to thank both of you for joining APA today. So happy with a chance to sit down and look forward to the great work that um, planners continue to make happen in the future. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Thank you.